Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Oshfin, I've got Brian on the phone with me, and today we're going to be talking about the 2021 horror film Candyman, directed by Nia DaCosta and starring Yahia Abdul-Mateen II, Tiona Paris, and Tony Todd. This is a sequel to the 1992 Candyman, and it tells the story of a young artist who inadvertently brings back to life the spirit known as Candyman. For those of you who are new to this show, Brian and I are going to have a spoiler-free discussion at the top of the episode. Uh, we'll just talk about the background of the film. And then we'll take a quick, uh, short musical break, and we'll dump, jump into the plot, the spoilers, and our review. Brian, is this the third time you've been to the theater this year? Third time I've been back to the theater, yeah. Uh, did you find a theater yet that you liked? <laughs> you know, I actually kind of liked this theater I was at. But oh. get this, man. The closest theater that was playing to me in my new house at a showtime that I could go to was at the Mall of America. Oh my god, that huge one? <laughs> yeah, I had never been there. Wow, yeah, yes. So I walked in and went up like four escalators to the theater and uh, it was alright. There were really still cool. some some rascals, some youths who were a little bit disrespectful of the film for my taste, but other than that, it was all right. <laughs> Mall rats hanging out Mall there. Mall rats coming in late and, you know, yeah. standing up every five seconds for God knows what reason. Yeah. That's so interesting. You had to go to the mall to see this. That's so funny. Um, yeah, it was wild. Yeah. And that's the first time you've been into the, the, the Mall of America? Yeah. First time. Do you know, is that still the biggest mall in the, in the U.S.? I would imagine so, but I'm not totally sure. Okay. I should probably learn more Minnesota fun facts, though, if I'm going to live here. Yeah. You know, the, the one time I've been there was for when, when you had your wedding out, out there. Um, what was it, like 2014, 13, 15? 2013. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I went in there, and, I, and uh, I rode one of the roller coasters, which is a lot of fun. I think there's a Dora the Explorer roller coaster, which is nice. a good time. <laughs> yeah, I saw that from, from my escalators. Oh, man. Next time, <laughs> next time, if you got got a few minutes, you should jump on that one. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty close to showtime. Otherwise, I would have gone and checked it out. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, cool. I, hopefully, it's a, a theater you can have some repeat visits to. Um, but in terms of uh, movies that you were excited about coming out this year, where was this on your list? I think this was maybe number one, man, to be honest with you. I know. I'm excited for the Halloween Kills theater experience but this was the movie i was the most excited about i think so yeah for, for me too i think uh this one and a quiet place too i think i'd put at the top uh, yeah yeah your halloween kills you're more just about the theater experience of it i just think it'll be really fun i'm expecting like a three three point five rating for that nice. one <laughs> you already kind of know the number before you go into it exactly that's good and then uh did you stick to keeping your eyes shut during all the previews Yes, I did, but it was getting more difficult. I mean, it was so loud in that theater that you hear everything no matter what you do. So, oh, yeah. But I did keep my eyes shut. But man, they showed previews for like every new exciting horror movie coming out. Yeah. Malignant, uh, Last Night in Soho. What yeah. else? Halloween Kills. Halloween Kills, right. Yeah. Yeah, I know. The first time I saw the trailer for Last Night in Soho, and that, that looks pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm pumped to see that. I actually just watched, though I peeked my eyes open for a second and I saw an actress who I just watched in Jojo Rabbit. Oh, is she in that? Yeah, she is. I don't know how big her role is. I don't even know what her name is, but um, oh, okay. that makes me excited. She was really good in Jojo. Great. Yeah, that was a great movie. Yeah. Um, this film, though, similar, I guess, to A Quiet Place 2. It was meant to come out last year. 
but it was uh, delayed. And, and I guess the original idea for this film goes back to the early 2000s. Um, and then it just sounds like it kind of died until Jordan Peele came along, right? Yeah, it sounds like there were various ideas along the way. Like early 2000s, Bernard Rose, who directed the original Candyman, had an idea for a prequel about Candyman and Helen and their romance, but the studio turned it down. It sounds like there was a Candyman versus Leprechaun idea that was briefly kicked around, (laughs) and Tony Todd was like, no, I will never be involved in something like that. Good for him. Yeah. (laughs) And then in 2009, another film idea was kicked around that didn't come to fruition. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so, like, uh, great that, like, yeah, Jordan Peele, like, I feel, I feel like a director comes along and this movie is, like, so ripe for him to, like, kind of step into and, and, and pick it up with his production company. For sure, man. I agree. Um, it, and Clive Barker, I, I didn't see his name attached to this one at all. I, I don't know if he has anything to do with this one, does he? Um, I don't think he's still with us. Oh, really? I, guess... I believe so, but, boy, I wish I would have checked that. That might be a rare on-air uh check out for me look yeah up. yeah i i thought you know when i looked at his wikipedia i was seeing like he is an american right actor director whatever so i was assuming they're talking in present tense they're still around but yeah i don't, I don't well know. he's english actually he's from the uk oh right yeah well they did say is so he's he's still around he was born in 1952 so he's not even that old oh okay cool yeah i mean so, he's not young but he's not that old so he's with us but not attached to this film i think yeah, I mean, I'm sure he still gets commission from it. From It was based on his story, The Forbidden, from his collection of short stories called Books of Blood that I think was written from like 1984 and 1985. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm sure he's still getting money. But yeah, I didn't see his name on the producer's credits or anything like that, though. Good point. Yeah. And I didn't realize uh, there were two sequels to this like back in 95 and 99. Did you see any of those? I did know that there were sequels, but I have not seen either of them. They're not that great from what I've heard, but uh, we'll have to check those out sometime. I guess, yeah. Maybe next sequel, September. Yeah, Farewell to the Flesh. Candyman Farewell to the Flesh in 1995 and Candyman Day of the Dead from 1999. Yeah. Do you you know if Tony Todd was in those? I believe he was, but I'm not totally sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I didn't even know this existed, but I, I imagine they're not very good. But I don't know. I guess we'll check them out sometime. Yep. We'll do enough um, sequel Septembers and we got to get to some, some mediocre ones. Yeah, exactly. Um, speaking of Candyman and the whole thing around Cabrini Green, where, which is where it takes place, it's this neighborhood here in Chicago. You lived pretty close to Cabrini Green when you were in Chicago, right? Yeah, I did. I think it was just a couple blocks north of there. So, I mean, it was pretty much gone by the time um, I was there. There were some some government housing right next to there that... Um, was not Cabrini Green that I, I think I always thought it was Cabrini Green, but I don't think it actually was part of it. Oh, sure. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was a gentrifying area. And it's interesting because the plot of this movie kind of, it doesn't, certainly doesn't write itself, but you've got such an organic idea to go from because that's literally what happened to the neighborhood, the real life neighborhood. So yeah, exactly. A real life scenario of it. 
Yeah. I, and, and I, was, I was curious because, uh, yeah, Cabrini Green plays a big role in the first one. Um, it's not like these were the only like projects in Chicago there. I'm sure there, there, there are a number of other ones. But is, is the reason this one is so talked about and, and you know, like focused uh, uh, of these films, is it because it was like more in a affluent area? It was more kind of visible, like on the north end of Chicago, close to like River North and stuff? You know, that could be a reason, man, that it's more uh, nefarious, I mean, notorious because, yeah, it's not like Chicago is like murder capital of the country over and over again, but there's such a dividing line between North and South that the people who live on the North side, it's not that they don't think about it. We're going to get on a lot of touchy ground in this episode. So <laughs> yeah. Come along for the ride, listeners. But I mean, it's just so divided that frankly, mostly white people can just be like, oh, Chicago is a great city and not realize that the bottom half of Chicago is, yeah. you know, going to hell in a handbag. Exactly. But also a bunch of, I mean, it was very, very bad. Like more stuff went poorly there than other government housing sure. um, areas. And uh, there were a couple of really high profile and uh, distinctly disturbing crimes that happened there. Yeah, yeah, it was cool to kind of read up on some of those, uh, like Girl X, I think. Uh, yeah, is that the one? I, I didn't research it this time. I remember researching it for our original Candyman episode, but was that mm. something that took place in like a stairwell? Yeah, they found her body uh, in a stairwell, I think. Yeah, that. Yeah, I don't remember all the details, I just remember it like having to stop reading. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely very notorious, and uh, yeah, I, I just feel like yeah, when when it existed, I, I know like fifteen thousand people or so lived there at at one point, and then yeah, and taking it down and gentrifying the neighborhood, obviously that becomes another big talking point. And then I think yeah, because it is so close to some of the central parts of the city, uh, it gets a lot more attention and focus. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're right about that. The location probably does have something to do with it. I don't know how what that whole area looked like back at that point in time, but I'm guessing the gentrification was already starting. Yeah, I think there's a target there now. Yeah, That's, there is. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, other connections to the first one, uh, you have three cast members uh, from the original film. Uh, Tony Todd, Virginia Madsen, and Vanessa Williams, I think. Yeah, correct. And Virginia Madsen, it's only her voice, but nevertheless, oh, right. she voice acts for this one. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Did you know going into this that it was going to reference the first one so much? I, I was kind of assuming it'd be its own standalone film. So I was surprised to see so many references. I believe I did. And we kind of uh, we kind of had like a assumption of what the plot would be. I mean, not everybody probably caught it, but I think back in our Candyman episode, we mentioned that the, and we're going to spoil the original here, probably, people, but we mentioned that the main character's name was Anthony in this one, and that was the name of the baby that survived the fire in the first one. So we brought that up in the in the Candyman episode we did a couple of years ago. So we theoretically knew it was coming, even if we forgot this by this time two years later. Yeah. Did, did you, like, when when they introduced Anthony in this one, like, you, you knew it was a, like, the, you remember the baby's name from the first one? Yeah. Yep. Wow. I well, I remembered that we mentioned that in our episode. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I kind of thought this was, uh, they were just going to kind of like maybe start from the beginning in a way. Because, uh, I mean, it, it's it's like, yeah, it's a story that can take so many different angles at, at different time periods. Yeah. I love that they didn't start from scratch. I think they did a good job connecting the old movie to this one. Yeah. Right. Right. 
Um, seems to be doing pretty well. Budget was $25 million. It's been out, what, like two weeks now, and it's made $50 million. So at least doubled uh, its spend so far. Yeah, not horrible. I'm sure they wanted better, but... Yeah. And uh, acclaim is pretty high, 85% Rotten Tomatoes, 73% by the audience. So not, I, I expected a higher divergence there. I was surprised those were kind of aligned. Yeah, you know, I, I think I expected a higher gap, too. I expected the audience ratings to be pretty low. I, people get pretty pissed off when you <laughs> spoon-feed them social commentary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> For more on that, see our Discord server. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I think that, that, that that's, that's the conversation on there about this film was like pretty amazing. Yeah, there was some great conversation on our Discord server about this film. We set up a channel for it, like, and when we set up movie-specific channels, you can let the spoilers fly. So I had muted that channel. Then, like, a couple of days ago after I watched this, I went into there and I could not, I couldn't read the whole channel. There was such a giant discussion on that movie. So Yeah, yeah. Is but it, it was a good discussion from what I read. Really good discussion, yeah, and so many different perspectives on it. I, I thought that was great. Yeah. Yeah, and they uh, they took some guesses at what we would rate it, so it'll be interesting to see how we stack up to their guesses. Sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, on that, like, uh, social commentary plays a huge role in this movie. Uh, did you feel that way with the first one at all? That, like, did, like I, I know it was kind of like an undertone of, you know, representing a, a community and gentrification and, like, what Candyman represented there. But um, it w- it did feel pretty buried in that first one, right? Like, do, do you feel like it was it was a highlight of that one? Yeah, I mean, it was more buried. It was more subtext. But Candyman's origin story in itself, like, is about racism. Like, he fell in love with a white woman and was horribly beaten to death for it. Um, but other than that, it, it kept the racial, social commentary mostly as subtext whereas it's just the text in this movie it's it's in the dialogue it's in the whole plot yeah right right yeah it's front and center sure sure yeah uh yeah i i wonder what that first one because yeah i hear what you're saying like uh racism is in there because the main character's origins uh tie back to slavery but you know knowing clive barker and his angle to things I, i just feel like um, he was in the first one had like kind of more romantic elements to it, um, and more kind of like fantasy type of vibe versus like trying to make any comments on, uh, any, any race or anything. I don't, th- I mean, yes, there was more of a romance story and the commentary on race was more buried, but this short story from what I understand, I haven't read it was about classism in England. So I don't, I think that was always a part of the, the commentary of the story, even as it evolved into the 1992 film, which was, you know, quite a bit different, same basic plot, but you know, took place in Cabrini Green, obviously it was a quite a different setting and quite a different social commentary, but that's been a part of the story from the get go. Yeah. Uh, that, that is really interesting though, that that you mentioned Clive Barker is English though. So I, I mean, it isn't it inter- interesting to see like an English person trying to write a story about like race in America with Candyman? Well, I don't think, I don't remember if Clive Barker was involved in any way in the script for the first movie. Oh, so okay. I don't, the, the story he wrote was about classism in England. It wasn't about Cabrini Green. 
Oh, okay. So I don't know to what. I don't remember. <laughs> I'd have to go back and listen to our episode on Candyman, but I don't remember to what extent he was involved in the original Candyman. Got it. Okay, so his Candyman has like roots in England and like it wasn't born out of like American slavery. Correct. Okay, interesting. That's what that I understand. Sense. I've never read the story, but that is yeah. what I remember reading okay. years ago. Yeah. Uh, cool. And then uh, the director here, Nia uh, DaCosta, this is only her second feature film, and it's pretty cool because she's set a, um, a record here by being the first black female director to have a film come out and debut at number one. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, that's you, great. Yeah. You haven't uh, seen her. She, I think she had a, a movie, one movie before this a few years ago, but you, you haven't seen her work, have you? No, I have not. All right. First I'll, one. I'll so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah i'm sure and we'll it, go on some tangents but like anyone who's like upset about the social commentary like you can google how many movies there are by directed by black women and and see yeah. if you're still mad about the commentary <laughs> yeah yeah right right exactly i know i know that, that's a, that's a big big statement or like a big win i guess yeah uh but I, I am surprised that, like, yeah, you know, this is only her second film. Like, that that's a pretty big opportunity to be, to be handed a Candyman. And I think after this, she's doing uh, The Marvels uh, that's going to come out next year. And that's, like, part of the Marvel Universe. So uh, I, I think she's, like, landing some pretty big films, surprisingly. Oh, nice. Cool. Good for yeah. her. Yeah. 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 Pretty impressive. Um, any other background on this film? Oh, not really, man. That's about all I got. All right. Cool. Um, yeah, then do you want to jump to the, the plot, hit our review, go through the spoilers? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Hey, uh, do you mind though if we take a quick break? There's something I just got to take care of really quick. Sure, go for it. All right, thanks. I'll be right back. Hey, Brian, sorry about that. Uh, I, got, I had this bite on my arm from a mosquito that, that I just had to wipe some stuff on. Oh, I'm sure nothing will go wrong with that, man. Yeah, yeah, I think it'll be okay. I've, I've noticed my nose has started to turn blue, um, but that that's normal, right? Like, you, you get an insect bite in one place, the rest of your body starts to turn. Yeah, I mean, it's probably just a blue mosquito. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bugs, man. Crazy. Those terrible blue mosquitoes. Um, yeah. Dude, you didn't even ask for an Ohio connection. Oh, fuck. Which is an odd coincidence because this is the first time in a long time that we don't have one. Are you serious? Yeah. Alex was on vacation. I asked him a little late. So this Candyman and Aliens will not have Ohio connections. Sorry, everybody. Oh, my God. Wow. That's awesome. But you know what? Um, in the place of that, I'd like to plug a couple of things. Okay. Um, Our friend Whitney has had a podcast out for weeks now that I've just been gobbling up. It's a Stranger Things podcast called Scoops Ahoy. And she hosts it with her friend Colin, and they're walking through each episode of Stranger Things, starting with episode one, season one. Each episode of the podcast is one episode of the show. And it is just so great. And I'm upset with myself for not plugging it on our show sooner. Anybody who's even a small Stranger Things fan should go check out Scoops Ahoy, a Stranger Things podcast. I'm loving it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I so didn't think just, I was even that excited for Stranger Things season four. I'm like, oh yeah, I like Stranger Things, but their show really has me hyped. It's so good. Wow, that's awesome. So she's doing that and lights camera now. Yeah, she is. That's awesome. 
I'll have to check that out. Yeah, she's staying busy. And then our friend Steve Markley, who co-hosted an episode with us um, for our Misery episode years back, he is a writer on a new Hulu show called Only Murders in the Building, starring Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. And it's really good. It's really funny. So go check that out on Hulu right now. Did you you see the first three episodes already? I've seen the first three. Have you watched it yet? Yeah, yeah. I was man. I was when I saw his name at the end. I was I was blown away. I was like, that can't be the same guy. Uh, <laughs> but then I then I looked at his Instagram and yeah, holy shit. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. We'll have to have him back on and ask him a little bit about the show. Yeah, I mean, I, I messaged him like to tell me who the killer was, and he hasn't gotten back to me yet. <laughs> <laughs> so the, this movie opens with a scene uh, from the '90s, I think. There's a, a kid uh, who's living in Cabrini Green, uh, which is the projects back in Chicago, and uh, he goes down to the basement to do uh, laundry in, in the complex. And uh, while he's down there, a piece of candy is thrown to him from this hole that's in the wall. And as he's looking on, this man steps out with a hook on, uh, for a hand, and uh, we assume it's the candy man. Uh, wh- what did you think of this opening? Uh, I thought it was really good. Me too, man. I, and like, it's so cool to see like Candyman like right off the bat here in the opening minutes. And I, I, I thought the visual of him like he looked like really tall in this. Um. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't really think much about his size. I just I liked the visual of him. Yeah, I I think uh, the way he steps out like in in the the way his pants have like I think they're seersuckers, so they got those vertical stripes. Yeah, just he's kind got of, like it, a slimmer. He's got a slimmer look in this one. Yeah, a, a slim, tall look, and I, I think it kind of like shows him kind of like when he's stepping out of there, it kind of heightens that uh, that that feeling that this dude's really tall potentially. Yeah. Did you say this was back in the '90s? I think this opening is in the '90s, right? I thought it was in the '70s. Oh, yeah, it could have been in the '70s. Banger start uh, so far. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I, I assume '90s uh, just because I thought it was tying to the original film. Here, but yeah, maybe you're right. Moves the seventies. Yeah, I think so. But okay. move on. I'll look it up while you talk. Okay, cool. Um, so then we jump to present time, and we meet the main character, who's Anthony McCoy. Uh, he's this artist who lives with his girlfriend Brianna. Uh, Brianna's brother comes over for dinner one night and tells them the story about uh, this woman named Helen Lyle, which is the main character in Candyman Part One, or the the original film. And in this version, Helen's kind of like looked as, as as this kind of crazy person who went around killing a bunch of people and tried to burn this baby in a fire back in the 90s. So uh, just kind of like talking about that story. Uh, Anthony gets inspired by this and looks it up and, and he's really interested by this. One, one thing that's really cool that they did here and that they did throughout the movie is like for all these flashbacks, they use this puppetry kind of uh, visualization. Uh, did you enjoy that kind of throwback? I really did, man. And they, I think, discussed that. I think Nia DaCosta and Jordan Peele were like, oh, we don't want to do like traditional flashbacks. It just seems lame. And we don't want to show clips from the original movie. And so mm-hmm. they somehow landed on this puppetry. And I thought it was really cool. Very fitting. Yeah. Such a cool way to show it. Yeah. I and agree. I, yeah, I think, I think it was a Chicago puppetry group or something. But yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was like pretty haunting and a great way to, a great visual to, to yeah. talk to the movie. Agreed. This open the story opens in 1977 for this movie. Oh, damn. Nice. Okay. Man, the 70s sometimes looks like the 90s. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We we all forgive you. We've all confused the 70s with the 90s. 
right? So, yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks, thanks for the understanding there. Uh, so yeah, Anthony is inspired by hearing this story, and he like starts to dig into it and like learns more about Helen, and thinks maybe he'll focus his next uh, exhibit on this. So he goes out to Cabrini Green one day, and uh, while he's there, he runs into this guy named Burke, who runs this laundromat. And Burke reveals that he was that kid from the opening, which I guess was back in the 70s. Uh, who, he was the kid in the laundromat, or in the laundry room in the basement. And uh, that man that stepped out of that hole was this guy named Sherman that the police were hunting down uh, because they thought he was sending razor ba- blade laced candy to uh, kids in Chicago. Um, so when Burke saw him in the laundry room at that time in the 70s, he screamed, and that brought the cops down, and they ended up beating and killing this guy uh, back then. And after he was killed, this legend came about that if you say Candyman five times in the mirror, he's going to show up. So if this took place in the 70s, then this would have happened before Helen then? Correct, yeah. And so the Candyman that Helen was seeing, though, that wasn't this dude, right? No, it wasn't. But the, I think the theory is that the somehow somehow the two things got crossed with each other. Because they never really explain why Candyman was called Candyman in the first one, from what I remember. Yeah. And so I think the legend of this Sherman guy got co-mingled uh, with the lesson of, or with the legend of, what's his actual name, Dan- Daniel Robitaille or something. Yeah. Um, and that's how he came to be called Candyman. Got it. Okay. So, Candyman is Daniel Robitaille, or is it Sherman? It is Daniel Robitaille, and okay. kind of Sherman. And, the, I mean, yeah. yeah. The film okay. posits that it kind of is more of a symbol than anything eventually, but... Sure, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah right, that, that becomes like a, a big thing later on. Sure. Okay, uh, so yeah... Uh, I, th- I think, and uh, I think this is also the kind of where uh, some of the social context is, is setting in around like police brutality and like, yeah, him getting beaten up and uh, killed by the cops. Yeah, um, and I thought kind of... like it also was a commentary on not only the police's difficulty handling mental health, but like society in general of how to handle mental health. Like this Candyman um, Sherman, like. He seemed a little off, right? Like he's a smiling dude wandering around, living in holes in the walls, giving candy to kids, and he really means no harm. That's just like what he's doing. And he's got this big, creepy smile on his face all the time. It seemed to me like he probably had some mental health issues. Um, and not a, I mean, boy, it's hard to say, get through this entire movie without saying anything bad about the police but like we just society doesn't know how to deal with this yet like we don't know how to identify someone with mental health issues we don't know how to handle it on the scene and you know we as the audience are scared of this person like we associate mental health issues with things that are scary like things that are not normal um which is you know to an understandable for all of us you see someone acting like you're not used to someone acting and you get a little thrown off. But uh, I I think that was really interesting and a a cool thing to do to imply that maybe there were some mental health issues here. Did they, so they did imply that? I mean, I I felt like afterwards, like you're thinking about it and yeah, you can kind of uh, get get to some of those conclusions. But do you think they like hit on that uh, in in the exposition of Sherman? 
I think it was implied. Okay. I and think like a, a lot of things in this <laughs> film were not implied and they were very explicitly explained to the audience, but that one I think was implied. I yeah. just don't know why a guy would be smiling all crazily <laughs> and handing out yeah. candy to kids, but actually be innocent of any crime and living in the walls of, a, of the sure. building. Yeah, yeah, right, right. That makes sense. Uh, and then, yeah, wrongfully accused too, you know, so not like given a, a fair trial or a fair chance. Right. And um, beaten to death by the police. I think you said that. But. Yep, exactly. Uh, so the the other thing that happens um, while Anthony's visiting Kabir and Green is he does get stung by a bee, and uh, that comes into play a little bit later. Uh, but that evening, um, Anthony does say Candyman five times in the reflection of a window just to kind of scare his girlfriend and, uh, you know, get her excited about, like, the, the artwork he's doing. Um, and I think this is, we see Candyman here in the background, right? Like in the reflection of the window? I believe we do, yeah. Yeah. So then Anthony decides to do his next exhibit on Candyman. Uh, it doesn't go very well. You know, the, the critics aren't crazy about it. Uh, but afterwards, that evening, after everyone leaves and they lock up, the curator and his girlfriend say Candyman five times and Candyman pops up and we get our first kind of attack scene where he comes in and kills uh, them both. And it's interesting because you don't, you can't, you don't see him except in the reflection, uh, which, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you know why they did it that way? I don't know why they approached it that way, but I'm glad they did. I think maybe they just thought it would be scarier or creepier. Um, Mm -hmm. There are some critic reviews of this movie saying it's not that scary. I don't. I, I thought it was kind of scary, um, and I think it was scary that you could only see him in the mirror. I liked that aspect of it. Although yeah, then I, it forces some like CGI that wouldn't have been necessary otherwise. But I like that concept. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. I, I just had I didn't remember that from the first one that he could only exist in the mirror. So that was, I thought that was kind of a new thing they did here. But yeah, I think you're right. It was, it was kind of cool because yeah, you get you have people getting killed by something you can't see unless you look in, in the mirror. That was, that was kind of a, a fun thing to to watch. Yeah, I thought it was a nice a nice spin. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, in the original you could see him, you could just see him. You didn't have to look in a mirror to see him. Like you had to summon him in the mirror, but then once he's out, he's out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So Anthony starts to kind of spiral. I think at this point he becomes really obsessed with drawing these really vivid pictures of Candyman. Um, while he's doing his research at one point he goes into a library and there's a scene with him in the elevator that's all mirrored and he sees his reflection as Candyman kind of like popping out at him um and then we get a few more deaths uh so this one critic who was very critical of him at the showing suddenly changed her tone now that uh this death has happened and invites uh Anthony to her house and while he's there she goes into the bathroom we don't see it but I assume she says Candyman in the mirror five times because then once he leaves, we see her kind of being dragged around her apartment and killed. Yeah, because he's taunting her kind of before she goes in there. Like, I dare you to say it when you're in there. Right. And so you, you think she said it, right? I Yeah. I mean, she, I think, had to. By the rules of the movie, she had to have said it. Because she yeah. gets killed by Candyman. And I thought this was a really cool death. Because you see it, like, from far away looking into, like, the windows of her building. Did, did you like that? I liked it to an extent, but it felt a little cheap. Like, I wish I would have seen, I wish they would have been cutting back and forth or maybe started out with her death happening, like the beginnings of it happening in her apartment with a camera in the apartment and then cut to that external view. 
Oh yeah. Um, sure. cause it was just like, Oh, we can vaguely see that she's being murdered in there, but it was yeah. so far away. It kind of felt a little bit like a cop out, but yeah, it wasn't as scary, I guess, as it should have been. Yeah, I mean, and that as a complaint I have with the movie in general is that the kills, and this was a good discussion that was had in our server as well. Someone said that they thought the kills were gorier in the first one. I think uh, Big Turkey said that, and then Coop was like, no, I just watched it. They're not that much gory, or much more gory, but it felt more impactful with the kills from the first one. Um I think Helen was almost always there to witness the murders and be absolutely horrified and like thrown into this downward spiral. But um, so far, Anthony hasn't witnessed any of these murders, right? So we don't get the benefit of his reaction. We don't get that dramatic punch to the gut. Like we see him losing control too, but he's out of the apartment before she dies. He has no idea she even dies until the news. And the first death in the first um, in the art gallery, his only reaction to that when he sees it on the news is that he's pleased that his name was spoken and that the name of his piece was spoken. So it's very opposite. I mean, eventually he gets more on the character trajectory of Helen from the first one. But at first he's just excited, whereas Helen is just, she's got this, morbid curiosity and fascination but like you know every death is horrible and it's someone close to her and she's covered in blood and she's presumed to be the murderer from the get-go and it's just more of a punch to the gut emotionally and the kills feel more brutal for that reason also just the cinematics around the kills in the first one and the sound design i know there are some scenes like that here in this film where you don't see it but you hear it but they just hit a little harder in the first one to me yeah yeah they do and i think also the fact that like you can't really see him except in a mirror so then you kind of have this invisible force killing people and that yeah. kind of uh, reduces the blunt as compared to the first one where you're actually like up close seeing him with this hook like d- digging it into people sure yep yeah no, that, that's a fair point that's really good um and yeah and then there's like a, a, another kill scene where um, these five girls are uh, saying it in a high school bathroom. And so I, I think very similar, like we, we see the blood on the floor. We see a glimpse of him in like a small mirror. But yeah, all, all these kills kind of happen uh, either at a distance or like off screen, which, uh, yeah, I, I hear you is kind of, uh, yeah, it reduces the, the impact of it. Yeah, and no main character is even present for this one. Yeah. It's right, just like right. a side note of the movie kind of. Yeah, that one did feel kind of like a weird divergence uh, and more just kind of thrown into appeal to like horror fans who like want to see a group of people get killed in a bathroom. Yeah, it almost felt like something in there for to put in the trailer. I don't even know if it was in the trailer because I haven't seen it. But yeah, it, it did feel like a divergence. That woman or the young girl who was part of that group like was at the exhibit. So that's how they set it up. She was at the art uh, exhibit where he displayed his piece but yeah that felt like it didn't really need to be in there right right so yeah I mean I, I, I hear you that uh, it's, it's not as impactful um, you're not like in the shoes of your protagonist so you're not like as scared as you might be but um, I, I think the way they're positioning Candyman in this movie is a lot different than the first one um, where and, and I, I feel like that might tie to like how they're trying to depict these killings Um because I, I don't know if, if you're supposed to be sympathizing with uh, Candyman more and like be less scared of him at, at this point. 
um, versus like in the first one where like he is kind of like the menace. Do you feel like he's the menace here? Um, yeah, I still think he's the menace. Um, and he, so far, aside from this bathroom scene, has taken out people who we aren't really fans of in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm pretty sure that, hmm, it seems like he only kills white characters, right? Yeah, he does. That's, that's the other thing with uh, this one. Yeah. And, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and we've been set up to le- to dislike the people he's killed so far, aside from the bathroom exactly. scene. Um, but yeah. he still feels like the, I mean, he's still technically the bad guy, and he is kind of doing the same thing to Anthony that he was doing to Helen, kind of like a grooming of sorts oh, for sure. slightly different reasons this time. Yeah, yeah, like haunting him and stuff. Right? Yeah, I still feel like you should have had, even if the audience has more sympathetic to Candyman in this one, I still think that the main character should be going through as much of a downward spiral as Helen did. And you can make yeah. the case that he was, but it didn't didn't hit as hard to me. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that's the direction this film goes. And then, so basically that beasting Anthony has grows and makes his, makes his like kind of left side all look scabbed up. Uh, he visits his mother. And at this point, we find out that his mother is uh from the first film and that anthony was the baby and the first candy man but I, I guess that was obvious to you from the beginning uh yeah just yeah it was <laughs> i guess i knew it was coming it wasn't obvious but the character name overlapping just was too much of a coincidence yeah sure um so yeah anthony was that baby from the first film and uh, his mother and others try to you know cover that up and they didn't want to tell him that so he, he thought um he was born somewhere else and that, that kind of thing um anthony and his girlfriend end up getting abducted by this guy burke the laundromat guy uh it's revealed that burke has been trying to recreate the legend of Candyman and wants the police to gun down anthony so that Candyman can become this instrument of vengeance instead of a symbol of black pain and suffering I didn't. I didn't pick up on this. Like I, I was so confused with, on Burke's speech and like what he was trying to do. Did it? Did it make sense to you when you saw this? I was a little confused about this as well. Like this is where the movie kind of like. I don't think it goes off the rails, but it makes a little bit of a leap in logic, um, or like creates some some questions that aren't necessarily easy to answer. Um, but yeah, it seemed like his mission, like. He was aiding Candyman. He wanted Candyman to exist. I was a little unclear on the symbol of Candyman. Was it like a way for the black community to cope with um, to cope with the violence against black people, specifically police violence against black people? And or was it a way to get revenge because the last time Candyman was this active, he, um, you know, wreaked havoc on the residents of Cabrini Green. And if he did that again now, it would be largely white people, right? Because it's a gentrified community. Um, so I didn't know if it was a revenge thing or uh, we we need this, like, symbol to exist and go on as a, a way to, like, a place to put this pain. I was a little unclear on it. Yeah, yeah, me too. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't tell, um, if that's like bad writing or if, you know, maybe, uh, it, I'm like, this is like such a 
a big topic with like so many different angles to it that like uh, is it maybe like the idea of it like being more simplified and, and straightforward is kind of unrealistic and maybe it speaks to like yeah you know like they're, they're all like all these factors coming into this and it could be a number of those uh, versions or, or interpretations yeah Sorry. yeah there's a yeah. lot packed into it it was very I felt like this was supposed to be some kind of twist that like Burke has been kind of like going for this whole time and he ends up uh, cutting off Anthony's hand and putting a, a hook in there it's basically recreating uh, a real life candy man right um, and, and it, 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 do you think there's a connection because uh, the original candy man was also an artist and here you have Anthony who's an artist so do you, do you think like there's some connection there I do, and I think Candyman has somehow, like, marked Anthony as his own as a child somehow. Oh, okay, okay. Right, in the first film? Yeah, yeah. Mm, So I think they are connected, and this was a little bit of, like, his fate. Yeah, interesting. But I'm not totally sure. That's kind of open-ended. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of open-ended here. (laughs) And then, like, Sherman and Daniel Robitaille had hooks for hands. Like, yeah. I don't think that was connected, but I think that you could read that as a way that those two legends were connected in the people of Cabrini Green's collective minds, right? Like, hey, this guy Sherman gave out candy and he was like wrongfully killed by the police and he had a hook for his hand. Everyone was creeped out by him. But then there's this other guy who appears in the mirror and he's got a hook for his hand. So you could easily see how those two, like that coincidence of the hook for the hand could get blended into one character right right yeah and kind of the legend just kind of gross yeah yeah and And actually even though there's some open-ended questions i really like the way they tied that legend from the first one into this movie and just kind of expanded the lore yeah, yeah. So basically, they added Sherman in to like expand, uh, to, to yeah, c- c- add some continu- continuity. Uh, or I guess, I guess he would have been before Daniel. So Sherman would have been there, and then it would have been Daniel, and now it's potentially Anthony. Is that is that kind of your understanding of it? Yeah, but that's a little bit confusing because if Sherman happened before um, the events of the first movie in 1992, then why wasn't Helen seeing Sherman in the mirror instead of Daniel? Um, maybe they're both active. Maybe there's a whole squad. Um, so yeah. And then like some of the art afterwards, the shadow puppetry post credit scenes does make it seem like there's a lot of, uh, candy men, you know, like every, every black person who's wrongfully, uh, murdered. I mean, no one is correctly murdered, but people who were accused of something they didn't do and murdered for it, like they become a candy man in a sense. Right. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. From from that standpoint, then like uh, it it doesn't uh, do anyone any favors to try to figure out like yeah the order of the Candyman stuff because I I guess like Candyman could be like uh, any anyone right 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 it's more symbolic and and not necessarily the thing to look at as logic yeah exactly exactly um so uh yeah Bri- Brienne ends up killing Burke uh pretty savagely like she goes to town stabbing him I think with a pen. Yeah, some some sort of small, sharp weapon. I thought it was like a small knife. Okay. And then Anthony, uh, already like pretty injured, obviously his hand's been cut off, pretty out of it, uh, is lying on the ground, and when the police break in and they kill him, um, the police try to intimidate Brianna and getting her to admit that Anthony was armed and uh, they, they, they had no choice but to shoot him. 
um, and they're, they're kind of threatening her. But instead of agreeing to do that, she says Candyman in the mirror five times, and Candyman arises and kills the police and tells her to tell everyone. Um, did she say Candyman five times? I only counted four in this scene. I think that the cop said it the fifth time. Oh. Oh, that counts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> I guess that counts. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. So, so I, yeah, I, I think that ends there. Um, anything else you would add? Anything pertinent to the story? Um, I don't think so. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that this character's name was Brianna. Oh, um, sure. Like, with the killing of Brianna Taylor. Um right. There was some discussion on our server of like why the cops would shoot at Anthony while he was lying down, um, and some people were like, "Hey, like they don't need a reason. Like, look at what's been happening. Like, yeah. things like this just happen." And then yeah. Coop brought up that maybe it was they were lying down as a commentary on like Brianna Taylor and her boyfriend like being shot at while in bed. Oh right. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know that that could have been part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I know that, that, that's such a hard one, but it's 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 cool that it like kind of opens that debate uh, around it. Um, but yeah, that, that I and, and it was really weird because that part's kind of done off camera. Like you don't see Anthony getting shot; you just hear the police come in and like shots ring out, right? Right. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, this is a very interesting way to show that. Um, yeah, and then uh, I'm just I'm I want to spread some credit for the because there was some really great combo on the server, but um, Big Turkey said that if you google the name sherman fields um the name of like you know the candy man character who was passing out candy to the kids it is a guy who's currently on death row who is claims that he was wrongfully convicted oh wow not not a similar crime though was it i don't believe so no i only skimmed it right before this episode started okay wow so it's like yeah there's definitely a lot buried in here right yeah there really is and in the whole like uh, yeah, when I, I feel like the, in this movie, a lot a lot of times they're saying like say say his name, uh, so that obviously I think ties to like a lot of what was happening with George Floyd. Sure, uh, yeah. Last year, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's definitely. I don't know. I feel like movies like this, it's almost like they're post social commentary. Like mm-hmm. they're yes, it's social commentary. But these are just characters existing in the world that we live in now, right? Like, they're, it's a black community dealing with the fact that black people are being killed over and over again by the police. Like, it's not necessarily, of course it's commentary, but it's just what's happening in the world right now. Yeah. So, I don't know, I, I feel like people who think it's too heavy on the social commentary, it's just like, so are we not allowed to make a movie about current events? Like, I don't, Yeah, I think you should be able to. I think the first black woman to have uh, directed a movie that's this big should be able to talk about the black community's experience without having to have like a white hero in the story. For um, sure. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think about the commentary? Uh, I agree. You know, I'm, I'm not going to slam it on social content. I, mean, I, I think that's awesome if you can embed that in. And uh, I know there's like a way to do it. Like you could be a little bit more subtle about it. And I, I feel like she probably uh, went the other direction and, and made it kind of like an overtone. Right. But um, I don't feel like it necessarily detracted from the story, like took it in, in directions that it didn't need to be in. But um, 
I think maybe she tried to it through the, like the the third act and stuff. Maybe she was trying to pack more in that. Um, I did did it like I, I don't know. It's like it's, I, I guess like yeah. With Burke's reveal, I feel like it got a little bit clumsy in terms of uh, knowing like where the message was, and then the idea of Candyman and like yeah, it just took a, a long time to kind of digest like what he symbolized. Which it's cool. Like a film can challenge you to kind of come to you know, interpret it and, and, and you're thinking on like what it represents. But, um, I don't know I think there's, yeah, you, you can have social commentary, but, uh, do, when you do so, like, does it have to be like sharper and like focus on like, um, a point of view or can it be like broad and like hit on a number of different angles that are going to, you know, cause a lot uh, of confusion on like where the actual message is. Sure, right. There might have been too much crammed in there or like too much t- attempting to be synthesized into the Candyman character. Um, and maybe upon rewatch, it would make more sense how it all comes together. But I think that's a valid criticism that maybe too much is packed in here. And they tried to hit on gentrification as well, um, which that was done more clumsily. And that was just like overt in the dialogue, which I get too, but that one... That one I can understand the criticism of being like too on the nose more so than than any criticism of what's going on with black people and police in this country right sure. now. That was that was the one that you felt was like overdone. Yeah, not necessarily overdone, but I think clumsy is a word that you said maybe applied to something else. But I think that might be the right word for how the gentrification commentary was handled in this movie. Some of the dialogue to um, not only the dialogue about around gentrification but the dialogue in general was kind of poorly written to me not always sometimes it was really good but there were just a couple times where i was like this is awkward or clumsy yeah yep and especially like they were talking about gentrification at the very beginning and then there was some commentary of like troy um brianna's brother his boyfriend who was white being like Um, but you live here now, like you're benefiting the gentrification, which is a cool commentary on how like we all can talk about gentrification, but like we're, a lot of us are complicit in it too, right? Like I'm at the top of the show, we said I lived two miles from, or like, I don't know, two blocks from Cabrini Green. Like I was a benefactor of gentrification. I didn't really even fully understand what gentrification was at that point, but you know, there's a lot of stuff in today's world where we're all kind of complicit and some people look at it as, well, God, like every single thing I do, I'm going to be doing something wrong. So why even try? But there are kind of two extremes there where it's like you overanalyze every single thing you do and you're constantly worried about how you're part of the problem and you're miserable and pessimistic about the world, or you're just like going through life, not giving a shit and who you step on or, or what you do. Um, Sorry, that's maybe a bit of a tangent, but no, that's like the human condition, right? <laughs> Trying to find a balance. Yeah, on this right, too. right. I guess <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying is, I appreciated the implication that, like, hey, like gentrification is this thing. We don't. We're all kind of part of the problem, um, but at the same time, it was just handled a little awkwardly. He was like, "But you live here," and then there was this weird awkward pause. It just wasn't the best. I feel like you could have even done the same scene with the same dialogue a few more takes and gotten it right. But the final, what we saw in the film was just clumsy to me. 
Sure. Yeah, yeah. And that was like mostly the conversation, yeah, with those two. And then I, even with the critic, I feel like gentrification came up again. Like, oh, you artists move into these places and drive people out and stuff. Yeah, which is just like explaining what gentrification is to the audience, which <laughs> a lot of people don't understand it. And I'm not saying I do either. So maybe it was beneficial, but yeah, there was. Yeah, for, this movie was only 91 minutes and to put gentrification in and the whole big thing of Candyman and what that symbolizes all into the same movie and having like the art critic explain flat out what gentrification is and then having um, Burke's character like be the one to explain what happened in the last movie, what's happening in this movie. There's just kind of a lot of exposition slash explanation dumps that um, make things feel a little rushed and, and clumsy. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I, I think on, like, I mean, so there's, like, police brutality that sits on, gentrification you mentioned, uh, the idea of, like, uh, artists uh, in, in their plights. But I, I, I think kind health. of, like, oh, yeah, mental health, right, exactly. Uh, I kind of feel like, like, yeah, I felt the same like this, like, you know, so many different angles being thrown in here. Uh, how are they going to, like, kind of um, wrap it all up together? But I, I, I wonder if this all kind of boils down to one idea, which is just, like, the idea of, like, uh, the suffering of, of, like, the black community and how, like, Candyman uh, represented that in, like, the, the first original one. And this one's all about turning that suffering suffering into something that can be used to empower them. And so then, like, all these ideas might, like, tangentially kind of connect back to that concept. And that's, like, the trajectory that Candyman takes from the beginning to the end of this one. Uh, right. Did, did you get that vibe at all? I I do now. I think you synthesized that really well. I think uh, you hit the nail on the head there. And then it brings it all back to say his name um, and, and trying to not forget the names of these people that the horrible things have happened to and use that as... as motivation as an empowerment and as a way to to make change happen going forward so yeah i think i think you're right with that like the suffering of the black community and it has multiple prongs it's not necessarily three to four different things it's it's all part of the same problem yeah yeah right right and yeah i feel like watching this it kind of like you get thrown into a bunch of different directions but i I wonder if that's kind of where it ties back to you had some random storylines here i i don't know if these bothered you like like the burke burke story or like uh brianna's father like we see like uh committed suicide uh when she was young um and she's like aspiring also to like become in like a bigger bigger position um what, what did you think of those were those uh pertinent to the story or they add anything for you I thought those were kind of like dead ends or almost remnants of earlier drafts of a script. It was a little bit weird, Um, especially the stuff with her father. And they kind of imply that she maybe has a way of being at the center of like a tortured artist who has a psychotic breakdown, implying that her father was an artist too. Um, But it was just so vaguely touched upon and briefly that I didn't understand the point of putting it in there. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same. It was, it was like a it kind of like a you have like maybe a few lines dedicated towards it, um, but I, I don't know. I, I think it played a role in like how she was being like. I think there was a context in here about like how others like appreciate um, or like only value the arts if like you've been through like something really tough, and so that was like coming up for her like w- with a new job opportunity. Like, oh yeah, and we know about like your background and your dad and like what's going on with your boyfriend and stuff like that. So it, yeah, it kind of right. And I think Burke at stories. one point said, like, they want our stories, but they don't want us. Oh, yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
So uh, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting that they do those in in the, yeah they had some value there, but then it did also feel like kind of just random odds and ends. Yeah, I feel like there were some things that just were like character development, character fleshing out boxes that were checked with Anthony and Brianna, but they felt rushed. I think yeah. in a ninety-one movie, minute movie that touches upon all those themes we just said, right? It didn't, um, and I could I could hear arguments otherwise and understand those arguments. But to me, they didn't do a good job giving me characters that I could really care about. Sure. Like, we, we were on this journey with Anthony, but it, to me, it wasn't, like, as central to the plot as Helen's journey. And I guess it wasn't meant to be, but I would have loved mm-hmm. to see an hour and 45-minute movie that made me more on board with Anthony and made me feel the tragedy of the collapse of Anthony and Brianna's relationship. Oh, yeah. That was also pretty rushed, wasn't it? Yeah. I th- I thought a lot of stuff was rushed. Yeah. Yeah. It was too yeah, short. It, it just should have been longer. I mean, it, yeah. not a, like you've got, I don't know, and maybe there's inherent racism here as well, but I don't know what the runtime was on Halloween 2018 or what the runtime is on Halloween Kills, but I'm guessing they're probably almost two hours. So mm-hmm. like, and I know Candyman isn't the same as Halloween, but you're revitalizing a beloved slasher icon in this movie like give us more than 91 minutes i I know i'm always pumped when a movie can do an hour and a half but that's for like haunted house movies or vapid slasher movies this movie had too much in it to be this short yeah yeah that's really interesting point It, it it was short but um i think because of all the exposition you mentioned earlier uh it's did it feel like it went by really quick or do you do you i i feel like there was like a lot of talking going on it didn't feel like it was a short. I was surprised when it got out and I looked at the time. It didn't yeah. feel that short. I think, like you said, because they tried to pack a lot in. But yeah, yeah. I, I would have liked a few moments to breathe and like just sit with the characters. Sure. Yeah, same. I, I would have liked some more uh, horror elements. I, I think you only had maybe three or four like kill scenes, like, you know, over the hour and a half. And I don't know, like, uh, you know, but I, I, I guess it would have been fun to see a little bit more of that going on. But yeah, it's hard to like pack that in and, uh, you know, a, a big agenda uh, in terms of like commentary and then all like within 90 minutes. That's that's a lot to throw in. Yeah. Yep. I agree. I, I, want, I wanted more from the scary. I did think he was, I thought that Candyman was scary. I thought that the movie was still scary. I do mm-hmm. think it could have been much scarier. I think the kills were lacking. Um, but I guess the first one was probably the most brutal. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that guy's name was Clive who died. I'm sure that was a, oh, a head nod cura- to Clive Barker. The curator? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. Uh, I, I like the kills, man. I, I thought they were all like interesting shown. Like one, like that first one up close, the second one, like from a distance, third one, like, uh, in like the peripheral of like a, a mirror. And then the last one, I, th- I think are just like the cops getting like, uh, torn down, uh, which kind of felt like really brutal. So I, I thought they all kind of like varied pretty well in like terms of setting and like how close you were to the action. Yeah. I think it just like, they never felt, they never made me feel that much. And I think part of it is like. Anthony wasn't there to see him and and react to him or yeah or it wasn't characters that we cared about which was kind of the point yeah but they just didn't feel that impactful to me sure it's so interesting to pivot towards Anthony because yeah he is like the main character of this film but I almost kind of feel like he kind of drops off like once 
um, yeah, he, he starts to kind of lose it a little bit. He gets that sting, and then, like, especially towards the end where, like, he's kind of gone into, like, this, this fugue state or whatever, um, and we don't even, like, see his death happen on screen. So uh, I, I feel like the movie takes a shift away from him, and, uh, he, like, is he even the main character at the end? Yeah, you're right. We don't even get to see his death on screen, and that's a good point. He... The end is really with Brianna. I still think Anthony was the main character, but hmm, I don't. Yeah, I don't think Anthony got enough focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when you're comparing it to Helen. I mean, like, yeah, it would have been cool to see just like be with one character the whole film. Yeah, and like watch them as they go through this. But right, uh, yeah, right. I, I, and I, I think that you know people who disagree with what we're saying might point to the scene with him and his mom, played by Vanessa Williams from the first film. And the scene with him, like, shattering the mirror with Brianna in the apartment, like, and them having, like, their relationship breakdown moment. But these things all just felt quick, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. And we didn't yeah. really see Anthony before, during, and after. It was just, like, a scene intercut by, like, lore or unrelated kills or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it, it, yeah, that, that is really interesting because on, on a film that's so short on like time and real estate, it, like even the time they spent on Brianna's brother, like who's a great character, but um, that time could have been spent on the main characters, like building them out more, like helping us see more of Anthony's plight. Yeah. Agreed. Does. Yeah, random. Um, any other, uh, oh, acting, uh, cinematography I thought was pretty incredible. What did you think of that? I thought the cinematography was really good. I, I liked the way it was shot. I liked the vibe of it. I like the Chicago-ness of it again. I think they had a shot or two or three that were very close to some of the shots in the original. I remember there was one where he was crossing the Dearborn Bridge. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. we had a shot of Helen on that bridge or at least a bridge very similar. Oh, cool. In the first one. Um, and yeah, I, I thought the cinematography was captivating. I don't think there was a bad performance in the movie, do you? No, yeah, I thought everyone acted pretty well. Yeah. It was, it was, it was well done. I think so, too. Um, yeah, I, there was a lot to be a fan of. I liked the score. Um, yeah, the score was so good. And I really like, I mean, we've, we touched upon it already, but I just don't think, despite some of the flaws and how it was executed i don't think there was like a better way forward to go with this movie and the lore of the movie than they did like even there there's some open-ended questions which i do think if we rewatch this it might make more sense i think it's so cool that they they tied Candyman's death at the hand of white persecutors who were you know convinced he had done something wrong even though there's nothing wrong about what he'd done to what's happening today in the same neighborhood of Chicago as it was in the 90s and as it is today. Like, that just all came together really well to me. And when I think about the movie, I'm just like, oh, what other way could there have been to go forward? This was, like, the perfect way to go forward. Sure. Um, The whole idea that, like, not much has changed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that was really cool. And a way to... And a fun way to, like, give Tony Todd a cameo. He briefly appears at the end. We see Sherman morph into him. Um, ah, that was him at the end, right? Yeah, yep. They, it is Tony Todd at the end. It, but it's someone different the rest of the time in the film. Yeah, the rest of the time is the actor that played Sherman. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was just a really cool way to move forward with the story. And I do like the idea that Candyman can essentially be anyone 
who was killed under similar circumstances. Um, and that Candyman may like groom those people to like live on in infamy. Right. I like that a lot too. And I, I feel like that was a missed opportunity with the first film. And uh, I, you know, I, I don't think they took Candyman as far as they could have on like, yeah, what he could represent. And so, yeah, I think this was like a great step forward and very timely. And uh, yeah, just so much more like well thought out in terms of what, what, that, what he could symbolize. That was, yeah. that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I really, um, oh boy, how do you pronounce his name? Yahya? Yahya? Uh, oh, Yahya. Yahya. I, re- I thought he gave a great performance. I really do just wish I had like 15 more minutes with him. And, and yeah. I think I could rate this movie higher than I'm going to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I wish they'd uh, kept up with him like uh, towards the end. Cause it, it was just really weird. Like he, I feel like after that mother scene, he, he really didn't have much more uh, dialogue. He just kind of goes missing and then. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And then even when he's on screen, he's basically, he's kind of like not there. Like he's already gone. Yeah. Right. Right. What do you what do you uh, interpret that as? Like, what what was that bee sting, and like, what did it turn into? Was that just like him being possessed by Candyman? I think so. I think Candyman had just chosen him, and and now is his time. Interesting. But yeah, okay. a lot of open questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely walked out of the theater like, with, with, like, what the fuck happened? Yeah. But yeah. Um, Coop brought up a great point. He said that this dude was doing laundry when he had the encounter with Sherman and then he screamed and he was kind of like the reason that Sherman was killed, right? By police. Right. And maybe right. he had some guilt about that. And then he was like, the guy went so far as to open a laundromat and that's what he was doing when at this traumatic point in his life, he was doing the laundry when Sherman was killed. Oh yeah. So right. it was just like, was he, is it like that they made that much of an impression on him and that's why he owns a laundromat or was that kind of coincidence? <laughs> like it's kind of interesting. Yeah. I know that is that's really funny. Uh, yeah, I, I can't tell if that's like a, a commentary on something or like a, a cycle of uh, you get like stuck in a mental place or something, right? Uh, yeah, with that guilt. Yeah, right. So interesting. Yep, that's funny. All right. Well, anything else? Do you want to jump to the rating? Let's do the rating. The highly anticipated rating. How many times uh, would you say Candyman in the Mirror out of out of five for this one? Nice. I would say Candyman three and a half times out of five. Oh, okay. Nice. That's How good. about you? Uh, yeah, I think I would, I, you know, I was going back and forth, uh, but I, I think I'm going to give it four Candyman in the mirror. Just like, I, yeah, I think a lot of, uh, flaws with the film, uh, and I, I agree with your point that it's, it's like too tight on time and they're trying to pack too much in there, but I, I got to give them credit for what they were going for and like the whole expansion of the Candyman ideology. Um, it's just, it's, it was like, uh, it just felt like very timely and like a great way to take the, the character in a new direction. Okay. I think, uh. Big Turkey may have guessed our ratings right. I can't remember what he thought, but I think that was maybe his guess. Oh, no kidding. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. I thought, I didn't think you were a fan of social commentary. I think based on slacks, I feel like you're kind of down on like heavy hitting films. Hey man, I love Black Christmas 2019, so you you got me confused with somebody else. (laughs) And that, you know, that was, uh, it, you know, it feels kind of like a, wrong to compare the two and like uh like it shows a lack of nuance of the social understanding of our current times but i do think black christmas and Candyman are slightly similar in that yes it's social commentary but it's taking place in the present with characters who are deeply affected by the events of the present like black christmas 2019 was about college women who had a friend who was the victim of sexual assault 
and were living in a post Me Too world and they were feminists and they were pissed about what happened and that was the life they were living and that was their reality. But everyone was like, oh my God, the social commentary is like too heavy handed. Sure, I it's hard for me to see that movie and not see that as a complaint, but that was just who the characters were and it was what they were going through. And there's no, those characters exist in real life. And, and I think that's the same case with Candyman. Like this is about real things. I mean, it's, it's a supernatural movie, but it's the real things that are happening right now. And it's cool to have movies like that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and I, I think for all the mixed criticism, this is getting uh, uh, just to see the dialogue happening around the film. I, I think that it was says something about like a job well done in terms of creating discussion and, and uh, controversy. Sure. Yeah, it's important. There, there needs to be movies like these. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. I think like, yeah, I think a, a hyper realistic, hyper up to date, hyper modern context, the characters living in the modern world. I, I think that's great. Not everything has to be buried under subtext. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a time and place for everything. Yeah. All right. Cool, man. Well, anything else? That's it. All right. Well, that's going to be it for our discussion on Candyman. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's going to help other people find our show, and we always appreciate the feedback. If you want to join the discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com, or you can shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We'll announce next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We also, as we've mentioned a number of times, uh, have a Discord server. A lot of great discussion happening there. Check out the Candyman discussion. That, that's been a, a really fun one to, to, to watch. Uh, a lot of different viewpoints. Uh, so you can find the link to that on our website. Our logo is by MMA Pop Art, so check her out on Etsy.com. Until next time, if your podcast isn't getting enough uh, listens, try having one of the hosts murdered. Uh, so then you can at least be featured on news or something. Oh, God. You've got an idea. <laughs> I think I'm on to something. <laughs> <laughs>